A reading from Matthew. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and we have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Today we celebrate the Feast of the Epiphany. Technically it was Thursday, but it's what we refer to as a movable feast, giving us the ability to celebrate on the Sunday that is closest. The story of the wise men's journey is likely familiar as a part of the Christmas narrative, but this morning I'd like for us to think more specifically about wise people. Who were they then and who are they now? There are three types of wisdom represented in this story as Matthew tells it. The first is this group of men who are identified as wise. Their vocation and the respect they had acquired meant they were able to get an audience with the king. We also know they had the means to travel a great distance. Further, they were able to see what remained invisible to the person in the story who theoretically had the most power, the king himself. Given how little we know about these wise men, it is clear that they are men of consequence who will make a threat to the one with the most established power. And yet, they are interested enough by the rising of the star to give it both attention, resources, and the full weight of their curiosity. The wisdom represented by these three men is put in direct contrast to the wisdom found in established power. King Herod represented those who are deemed wise by the nature of their position. But Matthew makes clear there are limitations to this type of wisdom. Though the king has great influence over that which transpires in his kingdom, he is susceptible to the fear that is presented with anything new. I would offer that one interpretation of King Herod is an archetype for shallow wisdom, that which is by title, not by merit. King Herod reveals that power is made easily afraid. 
the coming of the wise men and their ability to find and follow the star is a preview of the disruption that looms with Jesus's arrival. Finally, the story bears the wisdom of an epiphany. An epiphany literally means showing forth. In Jesus, it is the very heart of God that we are shown. In Jesus, we are led to question the wisdom of traditional titles, power, and seats of authority, which are set in stark contrast to a newborn child, a humble setting, and unprepared parents. As readers who know not just the beginning, but the end of this story, we are able to see that this account of the wise men and King Herod is a preview of all that is to come with the reign of God. It is the beginning of the toppling of that which has been and the inbreaking of God's kingdom on earth. We are pointed towards that which is truly wise, the very heart of God. In spending time with this beautiful and curious story of the Epiphany, I also spent time thinking about people who have shown forth God's wisdom in my lifetime. And I'll be honest, many of you on this screen were among the first to come to mind for me. I'm not sure I've ever been part of a more faithful, committed, and dynamic group of disciples. Every day with you all is a privilege. This morning, I want to share with you a little bit about Desmond Tutu's legacy, though, which is both personal and global for me. With his passing, I feel we have lost both a courageous leader and a spiritual giant. The list of his accomplishments is long, though perhaps most notable is his vision and leadership of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa. In the wake of apartheid, he knew redemption could never take root until the truth had been brought into the light. His wisdom transcended that of a church leader or a practical politician to that of a man who knew the heart of God. Give me just a moment here, because I'm going to use preacher's privilege and share with you my most memorable moment with him. Bishop Tutu was the graduation speaker at William and Mary in 2006, which just happened to be the year that I graduated. And my mother, who is featured in this picture, also happened to be retiring as the president of their board of governors that year. All this meant that I had the true privilege of meeting the bishop and will never forget the way his joyful spirit seemed to allow him to levitate a few inches off the ground. What I want to share with you is just the beginning of his remarks from that commencement speech. Truthfully, there are any number of quotes I could point to in order to make the case for his presence as a wise one among us. But what I found in this beginning part of his remarks that were buried in my memory was a man who possessed true humility, an abiding faith, and an experience of the love of Jesus. He began with this story. A few years ago, I was in Atlanta on the local train, the Marta, minding my own business as I always do. And somebody thought they recognized me. And so a few people came along and asked for autographs and I was signing autographs, trying to look suitably modest. And then somebody came up. A woman came up with a piece of paper and shoved it under my nose. And as I was signing it, she said, who is he? And I thought that was very good for the soul. <laughs> Mr. President, it is also a great joy and a privilege to be sharing with you in your first commitment, commencement after a scintillating career as a civil rights and human rights lawyer and a splendid law school teacher. And may I also add my own tribute to Susan McGill, who is stepping down as rector 
a much loved, much admired officer of this wonderful college. One day a man was traveling through the countryside and he came upon a farmer who was surveying his fields of lush corn swaying in the breeze. And the traveler stopped by the farmer and said, gee man, what a super job you and God have done. I mean, just look at this wonderful field. And the farmer kept quiet for a little while. And then after puffing on his pipe, he said, you should have seen what it looked like when God had it all to himself. We have an extraordinary God, an omnipotent God who by definition can have done any and everything that God set God's mind to doing. But in an extraordinary kind of paradox, this all-powerful one has down the ages seemed to seek the cooperation, the collaboration of frail, impotent human creatures for those to become God's partners. And God is prepared to jeopardize whatever project is in God's mind by this, an equal joining of the divine and the human. And so when there is injustice and oppression and ghastliness all over the world, God doesn't usually send lightning bolts to strike down the perpetrators of this injustice, of this oppression, of this ghastliness. No, God waits on those who are God's partners so that they are the ones who can galvanize others to change the awfulness of injustice and oppression to their glorious opposites. And so you get a Martin Luther King Jr. heading up the civil rights movement, or you have a Nelson Mandela helping to topple the awful system of injustice in South Africa. And so these who are God's partners help to change all of the aridities around into this glorious garden, blooming with justice and goodness. And so God waits on us, on you to be God's partners. So when God sees someone hungry, God wants to perform the miracle of feeding that hungry person, but it won't usually be by hamburgers floating down from heaven. If that hungry person is to be fed, it will be because you and you and you and you and you and all of us have said, God, I want to be your partner. I want to be your collaborator. I want to be your fellow worker so that you and I can accomplish this splendid job of work. Bishop Tutu's remarks were perhaps not what a non-religious college was accustomed to offering, but were completely aligned with the person he was in any and every context. His wisdom came not through his accomplishments or the accolades he received from those accomplishments. Quite the opposite. He was a man so grounded in his faith that he always had the wisdom to acknowledge the privilege of being a collaborator with God. The wisdom I and so many others have found in Bishop Tutu was through his ability to point beyond himself to the very heart of God. In so doing, he reminds us that the most meaningful wisdom comes in sharing our very heart with God and with one another. This year, on the Feast of the Epiphany, when we remember the light of the star that pointed the way to Jesus, I invite you to spend time thinking about the ways in which God has shown forth in your life. Spend time with the people who inspire curiosity and those who lead us towards knowing God's very heart here on earth. Amen. <laughs>